after last Sunday night service, really wanted to come in today with a barn burner. You know, rip, snort, a little bit of spit, flying as you go, you know, just really, whew, give it, give it a go. And, uh, and it didn't cooperate. God, uh, God did something this week. We're going to talk about it a little bit later in the service. I, I promise I'm giving you something to go home and talk about today. Uh, some of you are going to go home and you're going to talk about it and you're going to go, you know, I, hmm. and some of you are going to go, you know, that dude's really weird and he needs probably psychological help. Either way, it's fine. As long as you're talking about it, there's a chance that something will happen there. But I really, this, this, the, the topic you've heard a thousand times, a million times. But sometimes you take something and, and, and it becomes more real as time passes. And God does things to make it more real to you so that you understand the depth of what it is that we are a part of. Uh, and, and so I guess I need to go ahead and talk about everything else, and then we can get to that point. Um, when you talk about cats, up the street from our house, uh, up the street from our house, you come out of our little subdivision and you go up Napier, there is a big lot up there that used to be a recycle center. And y'all know what happens at recycle centers. Recycle centers, it's a place that you take your animals that you don't want and hope that they get recycled by another family, right? That's what that's all about. Yeah, you get to throw out trash and things like that, but the real purpose is to abandon animals. They just show up there. Well, somebody abandoned these cats. And the cats are not tame cats. These are not cats that want to love on you. These are cats whose, whose whole desire is to exist. And so the recycle center that we had up there, the government got into a little spat with the person that owned it, and they went back and forth. And as we all do, in the height of our maturity, one of them took their toys and went home. And when they did that, they removed the recycle center from there, and off it goes. It's real inconvenient to us now, but that's nothing y'all need to worry about. But the cat stayed. Recycle center's gone. But the cats are still there. Well, now, when the guys worked there at the recycle center, they would leave food for them and people would leave food for them. But now the recycle center's gone and there's these cats. So there's this lady. I don't know who she is. She has a little pickup truck. And every so often when I'm coming to work, coming to church this morning, this lady's parked on the side of the road and she's feeding those cats. Those cats don't care for her at all. They don't come up and meow around her and look all cute and wrap around her legs and all the things that cats do, you know, to butter you up and make you think you like them when all they really want is your food. But they do pretend at least. These cats don't even pretend. They just stay off in the distance. They want nothing to do with her. All they want is the food. And when she leaves the food and she goes off a little bit, the cats go up and the cats eat and they're filled and everything's fine. That's in the scripture here. That's in the scripture. We're going to take it apart like we've done for the last couple of weeks. Starts with John chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. So the next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. 
Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Now just to refresh us so we can get our timeline and understand where the story's going. Yesterday, in this story, yesterday, Jesus had fed those 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 10,000 people he had fed using the Thomas the Tank Engine lunch from the little boy that had the five barley loaves and the two fish in it, and he just kept serving until he had served everybody, got 12 basketfuls of food left. Okay, that happened during the day. And then in the evening, he had sent everybody away, but you know how people are. You can tell people to leave. They don't necessarily do what they're told. Some of the folks hung around in the area. Jesus sent the disciples off. There was one boat, only one boat. They got in the boat, took off across the water. Jesus went up on the mountaintop to pray. And then that evening, he walked on the water, came up, scared them to death. Peter was there. Lord, let me come. Peter goes out. He walks. He sinks. He Jesus touches him and he walks and gets back in the boat and then they're in Capernaum. That was that night. And now today they're in Capernaum. Jesus had told the crowd, y'all remember that phrase, I hope you use it on your children. This is parental advice and it is, it is my children can help you understand how important this is for you to learn as parents. To look at your children and say to them, you got to go. For your children to leave the room and to understand that you're they're, they're on your last nerve, it's time to go. And Jesus looked at this crowd and in his best fatherly voice, he said to them, you got to go. Y'all got to go. Sent the disciples away. Then he went up on the mountain to pray, but these folks... They knew something was up. See, the disciples had got into the one and only boat. They left. They expected Jesus to come down that morning. They'd have him all to himself. And he never came down. Now, one of the commentaries I read, and there's no way to know this. It's totally speculation. But one of the commentaries I read said that these boats from Tiberias were entrepreneurial guys. They were the first Uber drivers. And what these guys did is they heard there was this big crowd. They knew they would need to be moved. And so they floated their little boats over to where this crowd was. When the crowd realized that Jesus wasn't there, they paid these folks to take them back to the other side. Whether it happened that way or not doesn't matter. The boats came. People got on the boats. They went back to Capernaum, went looking for Jesus. And when they got there, he was there. No, no, think about it. Think about the story for a second, guys. You're waiting at the bottom of this hill for Jesus to come down. He never comes down. You got to get in a boat. You got to go across the water. You know to walk that distance is a huge, huge distance to walk. And then you get to Capernaum, and there's Jesus sitting there waiting on you when you get there. What's the first question you're going to ask? When did you get here? You couldn't have beat me by five minutes. When did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. Verses 25 through 27, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled, just like those cats. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus is sitting there. They'd gone up in the mountain to pray. He had gone on the mountain to pray, and here he is. When did you get here? Logical question. 
Jesus doesn't answer their question. Jesus says, you came looking, to, looking for me not because you saw the signs and all these things that happened. You came looking to me because you ate food, you were filled up, you were comfortable, and you want me to feed you again. But the only difference here, we, we've really not done Jesus a, a, a good service in the way we talk about him because he really is sort of pointed in his language. This last word in verse 26 is filled. This word is a word that they used only in context of animals grazing on a hillside. Jesus told these people, when he replies to them, he says, you're nothing but animals, you're nothing but like animals grazing on a hillside. All you want to do is graze, eat, get full, stand in the sunshine, enjoy the breeze, and then when you get hungry, you want to eat some more. And that's all that you want. That word that he used is an animal word. That wouldn't have been lost on them. When they heard that, somebody would have leaned back and said, that's not very nice. He just called us cows. Or actually, I guess in their day, they just called us sheep. That's what he's saying about us. The only thing you care about is your next meal. That's all you're looking for. And when I hear that, the question that I have to ask myself is, why do I come to Jesus? That's the question this text is screaming at us. Why do you come to Jesus? Why do you come to church week after week after week? When you pray, when I pray, what are we praying for? What do we ask? What do we listen for? Are we different from these people? He says, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus isn't saying don't work for food. You know that. I struggled for years with this, um, what's the word? Uh, just in my head and out of my head. It's when, ambition. There it is. I struggled with, with this ambition thing, you know, wanting to do stuff and climb the ladder and all of this. And, you know, I felt there was this tension. Well, there is this tension. But the tension is not in not working because Jesus says, Peter says later on, there was a group of people that were so very religious that they just weren't going to work. They were going to wait for Jesus to come back and they were just going to eat everybody else's lunches and go to the covered dish at the church and, and eat off of everybody else. They weren't going to work. They were just going to wait. And that's when Peter, uh, when, when I think it was Paul, says, if they don't eat, I mean, if they don't work, you don't let them eat. So the whole working thing for food, it's okay. It's all right. We're supposed to do that. The point here is that our primary goal is not supposed to be that. Our primary goal is to work for the food that lasts for eternal life. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm really afraid that our preaching over the last five decades has conditioned us to be like these crowds, to want our 
bellies filled to hear that if you do these things, then these things will happen in your life. If you do this, then everything will turn out good. If you don't do this, then you're going to have issues. And that's the way we've preached over the last however. But this scripture challenges that mindset. What is eternal life? What is this? What is he talking about? So you go back in John's gospel, you do a little research. Back in John 1, 4, John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What is that life? What is that life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever asked, what is this all about? It's not heaven when we die. I hope you've picked that up from me already. That's not enough. Realizing that when we, go, that when we die and go to heaven doesn't help us in our day-to-day life. That's something to look forward to. But I don't want to be on the next train out. Do y'all? Well, do you? Okay. So how does this help us right this minute? How does it help us right this moment? You know, if I live to be as old as my dad, I've still got some traveling to do. And you young guys, if you live to be as old as my dad, you've got an awful lot of living to do. And saying that I'll be with Jesus when I die doesn't help that much in my day-to-day life now. The life that Christ has is something we're baptized into, and it's something that has an effect on our lives right now so what is it if you look back in John and you study through John you see there are at least five attributes that he's talking about there are at least five things that affect our life right now this is cerebral take notes think hard five things the first one is holiness Holiness is otherness. It's separation from the common. Holiness is to be untainted, unsullied by the world. It's not only the ability, but it's the personality trait that lets you walk above everything. All of the nonsense that goes on at your job, all of the nonsense that goes on in your family sometimes, the ability to walk above it, The courage, the courage to walk away from common, mundane, inane things. To let your first response be a pure response. When everyone else is angry and full of invective, you're calm and you're full of peace. That's part of what he's talking about. Holiness, separation, being somebody different. There was a time when you would watch the news that there would be one person talking and tell you what went on that week or that day. And now when you watch the news, there are three or four people yelling at one another. And that's brought us to a point in our world where you will go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else you use nowadays, and you can find a whole bunch of people yelling at each other. 
and saying things that my mama would have blistered my fanny if I had said, and I, I use the word fanny. Should I use something else? I'm sorry. My mama would have blistered my behind if I had said some of the things on Facebook and Twitter that I read about people every day. Holiness says that you don't participate. That we are different. We are separate. We are striving to be like God and respond like him. The second is truth. Truth is divided into three parts. This is what truth is. The first part of truth is knowledge. It means the actual knowledge of the facts. You know what the facts are. You know what the situation requires, and these are the facts. I have an understanding of that. It's what you've learned. But the second part of truth is wisdom. It's knowing what to do with those facts. It's having the experience and having the good judgment to use your knowledge correctly. And the third part of truth is veracity. I love that word veracity. Veracity means it doesn't change. It is truth all the time. It is a habitual truthfulness. God never changes what the truth is. God never changes what the truth is. See, that's one of the things that could help us an awful lot. In every situation we deal with in life and all the things that we hear in society, the truth never changes. So you go back to the truth and get re-centered and you understand what holiness is, how truth applies to that. And you get to be something different. It never changes. It never adapts. It always stands regardless of opposition or circumstances. Truth is truth. The third part of this is love. And it's not the sappy Hallmark movie variety. It is the ability to surrender your will for the betterment of somebody else. It's giving yourself up for a higher cause. It's dying on the battlefield. It's dying on a cross. It's surrendering yourself. The fourth part is omnipotence. God is omnipotent. Jesus turned the water into wine. He healed a man whose own sinfulness cost him the ability to walk. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves, two fishes. He walked on water, caused Peter to walk on water. He calmed the storm. He is all-powerful. And if he is all-powerful and we are baptized into his life, then there is nothing for us to have to fear day by day as we go along. If I am crucified in Christ, if I'm buried in Christ, then, yeah, things look scary, but he's got it. He's got it. And I'm living in that. And the fifth one is sovereignty. Big fancy word. All of this is a part of life. It's a big fancy word that says that he's in charge of everything. That everything is part of the plan. That he came to do the will of the one who sent him. There's a plan that the Father has. Jesus is working the plan. There is nothing random. There is nothing accidental. Everything foreknown before the foundation of the world has been taken into account, set in order, put in place. Order in the midst of chaos. This is life. And this is what he wants us to have each and every day that comes. Not waiting to die to go to heaven. He's wanting us to have this kind of life right now. It is insanely practical. Think about what your life would be like right now. Is there a person in here 
who has not said something that as the words were leaving your mouth, you were saying in the back of your head, I'd like to have that back. If you are a married man, you know that you have turned to your bride and you have said something to your bride as you were saying it, you were already thinking about, is it going to be the sofa or the reclining chair tonight? Is no. Every one of us. Jesus is, is trying to get us to that moment of what our life would be like if if we would have his life, and we're still going to do, you're still going to do ridiculous things, but you're going to grow. And that's what he wants for us. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. This is the work of God. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What can we do? What is the work? What is the task that we're to do? We're to believe. And it's the belief that we've talked about before that's not just believing the facts, but it's adding all the rest of it to it, where we are willing, we are willing to surrender ourselves. We are so convinced that Jesus is who he says he is that we will surrender our way of life up to follow his way of life. That's what believe means. Now I'm going to get to the part where you get to go home and talk about me. Here it is, because this is strange. And it happened to me the other night, and it's weird. It drove a point home in my mind like I have never had this point driven home in my mind ever, ever before. And I don't know if in sharing it, it's going to help you or not, but I want you to at least think about it. I had a dream. Now, I'm not big on dreams. Y'all know I'm not big on dreams. Dreams can be caused by any number of things. Dreams are, dreams are those things that your brain scrubbing your memory banks from that day. It puts the right data in the right place. It erases the useless data out of your brain. It resets your mind for the next day to come. Sometimes your dreams are caused by the event that whatever you were going through that day, you dream about that. Sometimes it's because you ate the second piece of pizza. Sometimes it's because it was Thanksgiving and you had three helpings of mashed potatoes and you went to bed so full you can't breathe. Sometimes it's because some people don't know when to quit drinking and you have weird dreams when you go to bed at night. These things happen. I understand dreams are not reliable. And yet, at the same time, I had a dream. I had a dream on Wednesday night. I was in a valley, and it was ominously dark in the daytime. I looked up at the sky, and on this, there was this dark, dark cloud covering almost everything. On the edges was, was blue. I could see a little blue sky, but right down the middle... And this is weird, it's weird, I know it's weird, I can't help it. And as, as this black, it was ominous, you could feel, you could feel it. There was this crash of thunder, and this gigantic cross appeared in the sky. 
and it was a pure white blazing cross and underneath it were words that said Jesus is coming and there were a whole bunch of other words that I read I can't remember all I can remember is that Jesus is coming and in that moment I was so terrified I need you to understand terrified I woke myself up trying to scream it's a weird thing. I've done it once or twice in my life where you can't really get the sound out. So you just get this until you wake up. Yeah, that's what I did. And in this, in this happening, this state of mind I was in, the thought started running through my mind. Randy, when the father determines that it's your day to die, what will you say to him? And in that moment, my mind started processing everything good that I had ever done. This is, I'm telling you, that's strange. Because I know the right answers. But my mind starts processing all of this. Every good thing that I could ever remember doing, and after every good thing, I would hear, no, that's not enough. 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 Until I had absolutely exhausted everything good that I had ever done. And then I thought, I have nothing to offer except one thing, that I am here by the blood of Jesus. Now, you've heard it a million times. But that's the only thing that made my terror go away. I realized more than I have ever realized in my life what Jesus is saying right here in this scripture. That our work is to believe and that we have nothing else to give. Oh yeah, we're going to do things that lead to holiness and we're going to grow and we're going to do good works. We have good works that were assigned to us. We know that from studying uh, studying Ephesians, work that were assigned from the foundation of the earth for us. But those works are like Luke 17, 10. This should hurt your feelings. It sort of makes me feel funny when I say it sometimes. When we do all of the works that we're going to do, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. I'm going to stand before God and tell him, Oh, look what I did good for you. That's like going to the president of a corporation and saying, well, I, I sold something today. And he's going to say, good for you. I ran the corporation. And see, I knew this is something you've got you've to hang on to. You've got to take it home. You've got to think about this. You've got to let it sink in. You have nothing. Do you understand? You can work as hard as you work to try to be. You can try to make other people happy. You can be on everything at church. Y'all know the drill. You can do it all. But in that moment, when we stand before God and we don't know when that moment's going to be, there is only one thing that's going to make a difference. And that's for us to, to stand there and say, I am here by the blood of Jesus and there is nothing else. I have nothing to offer you. 
Anything I did, I did because you draw, drew me to it, gave me the ability to do it, gave me the resources to do it. I'm here because you said I could be here. Because Jesus died on a cross and bled out for me. And we've got to understand that. It's the starting point. Do you understand the difference that will make in your life? And I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. I'm talking about leaning back and going. I want this life. I want to follow you. Y'all pray with me. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beam around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river dear Lord Jesus teach us how to let you be our life and for those who do not trust you yet father call them loudly and strongly confront them with your grace so strongly that they will fall before you and cry out Jesus save me in Jesus name Amen. Invitation is just that. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, fall before him and say, Jesus, save me. There is no other way in life than his. You can struggle and fight and do everything, but his is the way. And for us as Christians, You've heard it a million times, and you can go home and say, I've heard that a million times, and I'm glad I got some rest this morning in church, and that's cool. I'm glad you got something. But I really want you to understand, I'm telling you, that, that woke me up the other night and made me realize that there is nothing, nothing else, nothing more, nothing better than Jesus. It's all we've got. It's our starting place. We need to strip everything else away, get back to that. So, invitation this morning, if, you've, if you trust Christ as your Savior, never made a public profession of faith, come forward and let's talk about it. Everybody else, stop and pray for a minute. Stop and pray. Be all right. You haven't got to sing. Kathy's got a good voice. She can do it by herself if she needs to. And take a minute and think about what he's done for you. Okay? Let's stand.